Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So one decision from one judge has made everybody completely crazy. And the judge didn't even say anything other than you got to follow procedure. That was the mask decision. The decision on masks was one, based on my reading of it, one that was procedural. Not about constitutionality. Not about whether or not even the president can do it. Or or a, an agency can say you have to wear masks on an airplane. It's about whether or not the rules were followed. Well, this is going to now lead us down the road of, sure, what what will the appeal be? The appeal process in this. But what we didn't expect, but of course expected, but never wanted, but knew we were going to get, was the attack on the judge herself. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. William Jacobson joins us right now, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Now, this is the story of the judge, Catherine Kimball Mizell, M-I-Z-E-L-L-E, I think I'm pronouncing her name right. And she was appointed by President Trump. She clerked for uh, uh, Clarence Thomas. And when this decision came out, there were people like Andy Slavitt, who are former Obamaites, who were all about, well, you know, this specific kind of judge. Well, that's a pretty shaky legal ruling uh, from a a young, and I think uh, I would say probably um, idealistic judge, a former uh, Clarence Thomas clerk, but be that as may, be that as it may, um, what we're seeing today, is people have to react to. I'm, I'm going to get on a plane, and uh, no one cares if Andy Slavitt's going to get on a plane. But look at how they're talking about judges: shaky ruling, young judge Clarence Thomas. I mean, the disparaging is nuts. Uh, William Jacobson. Uh, first, let's start with what it is this decision was. And I I'm, I don't think I'm wrong here. This was about how the CDC engaged in procedure and not about constitutionality, correct? Well, it's the first issue is whether the CDC even had the authority to do this. Um, and, and just like they didn't have the authority to shut down the, uh, you know, cruise industry um, and other things that they've done, just because you're the CDC doesn't mean you get to tell everybody in the country how to live about everything. And so that was really the first issue and the major issue she tackled, which is this exceeds their authority. The CDC relied on a sentence um, in the law that authorized the CDC to take actions. And it had a long it had a list of things you know, exterminate bugs, et cetera, et cetera. And they had the word sanitation in there. And so the CDC said making people wear masks is just a form of sanitation, and therefore they have the authority to do it. And the judge examined what the word sanitation means. It wasn't defined in the statute. She went back historically um, and then applied ordinary rules of statutory construction, which is you you have to read the word in the in the context of the sentence that it came out with. And it's very clear that, you know, it was in the context of things like fumigating, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, she concluded that under the statute, normal statutory construction, sanitation doesn't mean forcing somebody to wear a mask. 
That's not the, the statutory meaning. And therefore, they had no authority. So that was issue number one. Then issue number two was even if they did have the authority, they couldn't just announce this. They had to go through a process that they didn't go through, uh, and they did not have good cause to evade that process. Because this CDC mandate was essentially, I think it was Biden's first day in office, maybe a second day in office. They just announced it. Okay. And all of a sudden now, anybody on a bus, train, plane, wherever uh, in the whole country has to wear a mask because the CDC said so. So that that was really the ruling. So that that really does bring us to it for for a lot of people, myself included. How did a lawsuit like this not come sooner? Why, we're, we're, we're two years plus into this insanity, in my view. Uh, and it, it was nobody engaged in lawsuits earlier than this. What made it this judge this moment? Yeah, well, uh, the mask mandate came into effect when Biden took office. So that's late January of 2021. Uh, a lawsuit was filed, I believe, in the spring of 2021. And it took time to work its way through the court uh, system. They I didn't follow it at the time, but they apparently didn't seek any sort of immediate injunction. They went through the process, and uh, it was fully briefed uh, maybe a month ago, and there were cross motions for summary judgment. So whatever those litigants, for whatever their reason, decided not to push it on an expedited basis. So that's how we got here. But I don't know why they did that or, you know, and I haven't followed the litigation early in its life. So I don't know what happened in those early months. But, it, yeah, it took almost a year, which is from the filing of the lawsuit <clears throat> to get this decision, which is kind of odd, because if you remember all the immigration cases against Trump, I mean, they got their decisions in a week. You know, There was no right. pussyfooting around there. And this one took almost a year. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. You should be checking it out, the foundation, the work he does on critical race uh, theory. But the part two of the story now is how quickly people began real attacks on this judge. As you have the story, smear campaign mounts against Trump-appointed judge who struck down the CDC mask mandate, but the DOJ will not seek the emergency stay. So maybe we could start with the second part, a little bit of tease to getting to this attack on uh, Judge Mazel. Uh, we heard that there would be an appeal. I never doubted that there would be an appeal. The DOJ said they were going to look at it. Are they not going to appeal this decision? Well, as of last night, and I haven't checked this morning, but as of last night, they said they would appeal if the CDC decided the mask mandate was still needed. So, But if they were really hot to, to push this, they would have been by now in you know uh, Court of Appeals seeking in a stay of her order and reimposition of the mask mandate. Uh, as of last night, that's, they said that's not what they're going to do. They're going to wait for the CDC to evaluate it. Now, it's a very tricky question because her decision is overwhelmingly popular with the American people. So uh, you would have Joe Biden uh, running back into court demanding reimposition of masks everywhere. And with his polls in the low 30s at best, uh, that's not something they probably politically really want to do. So I think they've got some decision making. And everybody, you know, Depending when you ask, this, the whole issue of the masking uh, is subject to dispute. Remember, very early in the pandemic, Tony Fauci, you know, St. Fauci announced that masks were worthless. It was a joke. 
Of course, then it became not so worthless and not such a joke. And it was mandatory. And you want to kill old people if you don't wear your mask. Um, And now there have been studies and it's a mixed bag, uh, whether it's even effective or not. I mean, you know, and it might depend on what sort of mask you're wearing. And of course, you have these ridiculous rules that when you're on the plane, you have to wear a mask, except when you're eating as if they're The virus will not spread when you're eating, but it will spread when you're not eating. I mean, it became such an absurdity that I think the Biden administration is in a very difficult position. Now, this attack on uh, Judge Judge Mazel, as you write about it, the attacks are an attempt to target her early in her judicial career. The plan is don't let this woman get close to being a Supreme Court justice, just like they did to Janice Rogers Brown. Well, that, that's right. I mean, there were, there were a couple of lines of attack on her immediately. One is one of those things that is true but misleading, okay? They made a big deal about the fact that the American Bar Association rated her as not qualified. That's the rating. And that sounds really bad. And when I first heard that and I, you know, hadn't really looked into it, I said, oh, my God, here's the ABA again, you know, playing politics. That's why the Republicans disregard what they have to say. But let me look at this. And lo and behold, the ABA rating was actually highly favorable to her. They spoke about her in very glowing terms, some of which I quoted uh, in my article. But they found her not qualified because she was only, she was too uh, recently out of law school. I think she only had eight cumulative years of experience. And by the ABA standards, which are completely arbitrary, there's They're not written into law, but the ABA wants judicial nominees to have 12 years of experience, not eight years of experience. And she never tried a case herself. And they felt that that combination of only eight years experience and never having been a trial attorney, she was not qualified to be a, um, you know, a federal court trial judge. But they spoke very highly of her, spoke about her having an impressive resume about, uh, you know, great recommendations, uh, extremely smart, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously she clerked for major judges, including Clarence Thomas. So the, the big headlines in most places were judge rated not qualified, you know, strikes mask mandate. So, yeah, it's true. Technically, it's true. The American Bar Association, but having nothing to do with her intellect or her ability to write an opinion. And in fact, this whole thing has nothing to do with the trial. This was all on the papers. So there was no, you know, no trial issue. So that's number one is not painting or is not qualified um, without the explanation that it's simply because she only had eight years, not 12 Uh, not because she's an unqualified or not smart person. And then the uh, other lines of attack were, of course, Trumpist judge, et cetera, et cetera. And apparently her husband um, has some connections to Stephen Miller, who used to be uh, Trump's uh, assistant. Uh, And that's another line of attack. Uh, And just generally disparaging sort of comments about her. So basically what they're doing is they're trying to paint her uh, the way they paint everybody, you know, some sort of Looney Tune, right. some sort of, you know, Trumpist, crazy person, issues a crazy ruling, not qualified. But, you know, it's not just a particular commenter saying it, commentator saying it. It's major headlines everywhere. And I think part of it is, you know, she is viewed as somebody, not next year, but, you know, in some future, uh, you know, admit Republican administration, probably will get nominated for a court of appeal spot. And, you know, 10 years down the line, 
could be, you know, a potential Supreme Court person. And so I, I think that has a lot to do with it. Before uh, I let you go, talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, uh, LegalInsurrection.com, you talk about Looney Tunes. Philadelphia is the only city in the world that has a mask mandate right now. Um, the lawsuits are, are out there. You've got Leslie Eastman uh, reporting about that at LegalInsurrection.com. Uh, uh, these lawsuits, can can stuff like this go anywhere? I mean, I, isn't it like one health official says, we should do this, and the mayor says, yes, we should do this, and the your answer is, well, elect a new mayor. What's the case here? Yeah, well, I, I don't know the law in Pennsylvania or Philadelphia, but if they are if they have that power under local law, they have the power under local law. There's nothing to do with the CDC mask mandate, which was a matter of federal law. So you'd have to look at what powers the mayor of a city has or the mayor of Philadelphia to impose this. So I don't know the answer to it, but it's not the same analysis that we just went through with regard to the national mask mandate. William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com. I appreciate you taking the time. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. Twenty-six governors getting together to launch a strike force. Uh, it's like it's like space force, but with more gravity. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. How the hell are you? 833. Got Tony. I'd love to hear from you. 833-468-8669. Come on. Make Ari do some work. Call in. 833. Got Tony. What the hell? 26 Republican governors uh, being led by Governor Ducey there in Arizona, launching a partnership to secure the southern border. So they're calling it a strike force. So you have the governors of Arizona, right? You have the governor of of South Dakota, Kristi Noem. And then uh, Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Iowa, Maryland, Mississippi, Missouri. You got to say it properly. Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, and Indiana. Now this, you can argue is a publicity stunt. And I keep making the argument, I make it on radio, I made it on TV, so what? If it starts, or not starts, if it continually shines the light on the problem of the border and the failures of the administration, I'm all down. If it shows America that the Biden administration is failing so completely and totally, On the issues with the border, I say fine. If it gets things to be better and gets Congress to actually act, I'm down. By the way, uh, you've got Axios stating that the Biden administration is considering delaying the Title 42 repeal. Who's that right? You figured out that you're going to have a massive problem at the border like you already have, but worse. And uh, that's not going to do well in, in uh, in the midterm election. So you better keep Title 42. Title 42 is, uh, can we call it CDC mandate? Can we call it, uh, in, in that realm, I guess I would say. And what it says is, if there's a communicable disease, uh, let's call it COVID, you don't have to go through some standard procedures for deportation. You can just send people right out of the country. Pew, 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 like it's a potato gun. Pew, pew, pew. I don't know why potato gun. Don't ask me why that's the thing that came to my mind. 
and we have utilized it successfully to move people out of the country who should not be in the country. Countries have borders. Sovereign countries have borders, and borders must be maintained and protected. And nations that don't have sovereign borders and don't maintain and protect their borders are no longer countries. We read about them in history books. So the Biden administration was going to say, you know, in May, we're getting rid of Title 42. We don't need it anymore. And then it led to some really kind of unbelievable conversations and quotes. Like th- this was a, a Biden guy who, who was uh, a doctor on, on, on the COVID team. Literally said these two things on two different Sunday shows on the same day. This was Fox News Sunday. And if you look across the country, as I said, infections are still at a relatively historic low. Hospitalizations are very low. Um, and the CDC scientists determined that that Title 42 is not necessary at the border. And by the way, that goes into effect in late May. Um, it gives us time to assess things. And, and that's a, a public health decision by, made by the CDC. And I think. So everything's at a low. Everything's at a low. There's no problem with COVID whatsoever. Same guy, same day on ABC's This Week. Is COVID still a crisis? It is still a real challenge for our country, right? I mean, if you look at this, uh, we still have lots of people getting infected. 400 Americans are still, four or 500 Americans are still dying every day of this virus. Uh, and we have seen pretty substantial evolution of this virus over time. So the pandemic is not over. Uh, as much Pick a message and go with it, Bubba. And they can't do it. They are that confused show to show on how they want to address COVID with the country, which is why on masks, they look so absolutely feckless, absolutely positively feckless. They don't know which, what they're doing. They're constantly contradicting their own messaging. They look terrible, I tell you. But now realizing it, they're like, "Eh, maybe, maybe we'll keep Title 42 around just a wee bit longer. Is that right? Yeah, okay. Now, this is all really, don't don't think of this as just progressives. Although progressives are the ones who believe in open borders. They don't believe in the nation at all. They don't. They just don't. This is Democrats and Republicans that you can get pretty uh, unhappy with. They are both failing at their task. They are both failing to engage a border properly. People walking in illegally need to be thrown out. There can be no latitude. Refugees, there's a place for them. And then there's a path regarding legal immigration where we know who people are and we vet them. We can do this. We just need to. And we need both parties to step up. I'm Tony Katz. There's an elementary school in Pennsylvania that has voted down the after-school Satan Club. What? That's not something that's absolutely normal and standard in 2022? Elementary school students wanting an after-school Satan Club? Because after all, they know what that is. I, I, I honestly, I, I'm, I'm surprised at you, at you people. Tony Katz, 
Tony Katz today. How you doing? I am surprised that you you would somehow uh, think that that's not I- I- important. I-, I think that's very important. I think it's important that kids be able to have their after-school Satan club if they want it. Why shouldn't they be able to make this determination for themselves? See how crazy that all sounds? The program was suggested by a parent at Northern Elementary School in York, Pennsylvania, rejected by the principal, but went for a probationary vote at the school board. That is a parent who hates kids. We say it again. That is a parent who hates kids. And that's the only way to say it. Man, you really hate kids. You crazy person. Why Why can't we say that? I'm not going to say that an adult can't engage. Go knock yourself out. Have yourself a club and, 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 and enjoy. But don't bring the crazy to the school, which is really what so much of this is about, right? It's about not bringing the crazy to the school. There was a story about gay pride flags. Where in the world is that story, Producer Ari? The story goes that um, there there was a, a, what was it, a donation? There it is. It was like a donation of these gay pride flags that came from a, a, a group. Came from PFLAG, a national uh, LGBTQ group. And school staff members were encouraged to display them as support for the LGBTQ community. So we understand each other. Let's go back to the basics. Carroll County Public Schools get these flags. These flags come from a group called PFLAG, which is an LGBTQ group, national, and said, put these up. As is described, the pride flags that are being forced upon teachers do not solely represent the gay community. They also represent gender identity and transgender ideology. As a parent of a six-year-old in this school, it is very concerning that anyone would think it is okay to push these agendas on our youngest and most vulnerable students. Now, I thought I was the only person in America having this conversation. I had this conversation yesterday on News Nation. I don't know if Leland Vitter appreciated it. Leland is a good guy. He's been good to me. He's a friend. But we have a, we have a difference in our conversations. I am absolutely offended every time there's some conversation about um, transgender this or uh, sexual identity that, gender identity that. Why do you have to say, well, the LGBTQ community says, whoa, 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 whoa. Gay people think for them damn selves, and who the hell are you to, th- to say you speak for them? You don't. I don't care how many letters you add to the thing. It is inconsequential. You don't speak for anybody else. So one of the things, and, and uh, it was to an extent off topic, because I was on yesterday talking about uh, DeSantis and the fight against Disney, by the way, it's uh, I'm getting some reporting. I'll be able to dig into it tomorrow. The Senate, the Florida Senate has voted to take away uh, the tax privilege, the self-governing power of Disney, the Reedy Creek uh, District, which is basically 25,000 acres that Disney got in 1967 that they have full real autonomy of. 
they they run their own ship. They run their own community, run their own police and everything else. And as Disney has been getting nastily aggressive in going after the parental rights and education bill, I mean, they lie just like so many people lie calling it the don't say gay bill. If you call it the don't say gay bill, chances are you're not somebody I want in my home. Because you're a liar and you're a fraud and you believe in in not engaging a conversation honestly based on what the conversation is about. You believe in lying to move narrative and I've got no place for you in my life. You're awful. So there's been this conversation. We were talking about it last night and one of the things that got brought up by Leland was this from Jen Psaki regarding getting emotional over this uh, parental rights legislation. This is a political wedge issue and an attempt to win a culture war. And they're doing that in a way that is harsh and cruel uh, to a community of kids, especially. I'm, I'm like going to get, emo- uh, I'm going to get emotional about this issue because I just, it's horrible. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's like kids who are bullied and they, 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 like all these leaders are, are taking steps to hurt them and hurt their lives and hurt their families. And you look at some of these laws in these states and it is going after parents who are in loving relationships who have kids. It's completely outrageous. Sorry. I, and this, this is an issue that makes me completely crazy. Well, you should imagine how a parent feels of a young woman who's told that it's okay that you got second place, but a boy decided they were a girl and they're better than you. I do not disregard Jen Psaki's emotions. I only find it unacceptable that she has disregarded the emotions of others, of other parents, of other people. She wants to make the claim that, as she's talking about other states, but we know she's talking about Florida, that this is somehow abusive of children. Absolutely not. Letting a child decide their gender is abusive of children. Letting a child tell other young women, sorry, move aside, I'm here to participate in this sport, is abusive of children. And to not understand that, not to accept that, not to recognize that, makes you immoral in my view. It is where I draw the line. That you don't think that kids should be abused is something that we agree with. That you don't think that children who may feel this way should be treated poorly is something that you and I agree with as well. But the answer is not, therefore, treat other children poorly. On that, we have the divide, and that is where you lose the high ground. Speaking of treating people poorly, poorly, let's go back to the story about the gay pride flag, which I made the argument right here in my beloved Indiana should not be in the schools at all. There's no place for a gay pride flag in the schools. When Chastin Buttigieg, the husband of Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, is leading kids in some kind of Pledge of Allegiance to a gay pride flag, I wouldn't let him near kids. You don't pledge allegiance to a gay pride flag. That's not what you do. It doesn't represent the nation. One nation. That's, that is not one nation. So what are we doing? Why would it be in a school? You want to put it on your business, knock yourself out. You want to put it on your house? It's your house. You want to wear it as a jacket, feel free. In a school, 
No. But these flags get sent to the schools. Funny, the only reason to send this flag to schools and say, put them up in the schools, and especially in elementary school, is to indoctrinate the kids. It's the only, it's the only reason. Well, Tony, we've got the American flag. With all due respect, if your argument is we shouldn't indoctrinate kids into recognizing the value of their nation, well, that's a pretty dopey argument you're making. That is an argument of ignorance and absolute moral equivocation that has no place in a civil society. Said differently, only a schmuck makes that argument. Just so we're clear. Meanwhile, the flags get sent out, right? The flags get sent out to school. Put them up teachers are like this isn't right the superintendent says the flags were available to any staff member who wanted one and they were not forced upon anyone as the reporting goes school board members said some teachers felt bullied into displaying the flag at a political pressure and that the flag violates the district's recently revised political neutrality policy so two things here first on the pressure No doubt that that's true. Oh, you're not showing a gay pride flag. Hmm. I wonder why that is. I wonder what kind of person you are. Hmm. Doesn't show a gay pride flag. Well, I guess we know what you're all about. Of course that happens. Of course. Oh, you don't wear a mask. Hmm. Well, I guess we know who's killing grandma. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the part that really got me, like like, like yelling at, at, at the wall, the flag violates the district's recently revised political neutrality policy. So we are now admitting that a gay pride flag isn't about people of, of a sexual identity or orientation, however that could be described. It's about politics. The gay pride flag is a flag of leftism and progressivism. I mean, we're just we're just admitting it now. Now, boom! There it is. Good lord! One of the school board members said, "Our students are a captive audience, and as such, need to be protected from all political agendas from both the right and the left." I also respect the rights of teachers to work in a non-hostile work environment, deliver an effective lesson plan, and support all kids in the best way they can. But we require that they do it in a politically neutral way that creates a safe space for every student in our schools. However, many teachers have reached out to me saying that they have been pressured or bullied to put flags in their classroom, and that's a problem that needs to be addressed. They sent the flags to indoctrinate the kids. And when you don't put up the flags, that's when the bullying began. Because they aren't interested in an inclusive world. They're interested in you doing what you're told, bitch, or else. Not because I said so. Even though I could do a pretty good job of deciphering uh, the, the code. It's because they said so. But I think the big part of the story is that the gay pride flag is now political. And you could argue, Tony, it's always been political. But when could you have proven that? No, 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 no. Seriously, take a step back. Take a step back. To make the argument that the gay pride flag is political is to make an argument that to be gay equals left. Now, you have heard me say many times, and once again, it proves it true. If you're gay and conservative, you're not really gay, according to these people. And how do we know this to be true? Look at what we're saying right here. We are now getting the admission, 
Never mind our knowledge of it, our understanding of it. We're getting the admission that this gay pride flag, which has now taken on like 12 new colors, I cannot keep up. There's right, so, so it was the rainbow flag, and then they added some colors, and now they've got like a chevron going in there. I, I, I'm not, I can't, I don't know. I can't. And if you think I'm making fun of it, well, yeah, I am. Hold on, hold on. Producer Ari, can I get a ruling on this? I mean, I personally think it's in poor taste, but you can do what you want. All right. I'm making fun of it, and the reason I'm making fun of it is because they took something that was supposed to be a, a statement piece regarding not being afraid to express yourself, and they, the progressive in America, turned it into a violent piece of political ideology that you strap to your arm to prove whether or not you're worthy. That's what they did. I think we should be disgusted by that. I think that when Chastin Buttigieg leads kids in a Pledge of Allegiance to a gay pride flag, you should recognize what a bad guy he is. And I only hope he, he, he treats his own children better than he's treating those other children when leading that kind of nonsense. Teachers bullied in the classroom? Let's ask ourselves, exactly how often does that happen? I'm willing to bet all the freaking time. The flag, the, 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 the rainbow flag, is a political flag that stands for leftism and anti-Americanism. And no, not all gay people think alike, and not all gay men and women think that you should be sexualizing second graders by teaching them gender identity. Of course not. I wish the left had more respect for gay men and women, but they don't. They left it up to a conservative radio host. Okay. But since I've always had respect for gay men and women, because I think you can live your life the way you see fit, I, uh, I, I only question why other people don't have the respect. The left does not respect gay men and women. They only want your fealty. You will be loyal or else. Teachers, you will be loyal or else. Students, you will be made to be loyal or else. And people who believe in that or else concept, they can't be near our kids. They can't be in our schools. They can't be our leaders. They're bad people. I'm Tony Katz. All right, Indianapolis, tonight, 6 to 9 p.m., what's the weather going to be like? It's the fundraiser for IMPD Officer Thomas Mangan and Blend Bar Cigar. I will be there, and we are going to raise money. He was shot in the line of duty, uh, serious damage to his voice box and, and his Adam's apple, and uh, we're going to raise money and uh, help him help uh, get him back. He's got a long recovery. You can actually go to IMPD. For Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department, impdswatexperience.com. Impdswatexperience.com is where you can go and you can uh, donate or uh, blend bar cigar in Indianapolis uh, starting at 6 p.m. I will be there. I will be there. The rain is holding off, which is fantastic. Uh, and uh, and uh, we'll be uh, smoking cigars. I've been considering, producer, all right, because you may show up too. 
Like, what if it like like you know you can you can give a donation, buy a cigar, it's a donation. But what if for an extra donation, I'll I'll set a table aside, and uh, I'll, I'll you can come hang and, and smoke just with me. Uh, what if you get like eight hundred people who do that? Uh, well, uh, then then you have to wait till somebody leaves. Oh, all we'll, right. Maybe maybe we'll 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 jack up the price and we'll make it just the first. Uh, like there's a big table for six, five other people. We'll yeah, sit and talk politics. Couldn't hurt. You know, maybe, or maybe I'll just uh, I'll mingle around, and we'll uh, we'll have a good time. Six p.m. It starts. Blend Bar Cigar. It's on eighty second. For Officer Thomas Mangan, impdswatexperience.com. Impdswatexperience.com. I will see you there. We've got more. Keep it right here. This is Tony Katz today.